we'd like to remind you that if you are experiencing symptoms of a heart attack, stroke, or any life-threatening medical emergency, please call 911. Please do not delay seeking treatment during the COVID-19 epidemic. Most Providence emergency rooms are open, and CDC-required safety measures are being taken to protect patients and hospital staff. If you are unsure of your symptoms, please use our telehealth services and speak with a healthcare professional that can better assess your symptoms and provide direction on the best course of action. Please do not let the worry of COVID-19 cause delay in seeking out treatment if you are experiencing a heart attack or stroke. Every minute treatment is delayed can be fatal. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the future of health on Dash Radio during this coronavirus pandemic. We're lucky to have many experts around our COVID-19 topic and many guest hosts. Remember to visit coronavirus.providence.org for more information. Hello and welcome to our broadcast. I'm your host, Brett Barrow, founder and CEO of HerFeed. As a reminder, the information provided during this event is for educational purposes only. It is not intended, nor is it implied, to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always consult your healthcare provider to determine the appropriateness of the information for your own situation. If you have any questions regarding medical conditions or treatment plans, please consult your physician. Participating in this event with these clinicians does not create a physician-patient relationship. Joining me today is are two incredible doctors, Dr. Jatan Patel, a physician of pulmonary medicine at Providence Spokane, and Dr. Robin Henderson, executive director of behavioral health at Providence. Hello, both of you, and welcome. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, you too. Um, Today we are going to be discussing the wildfires that have spread across the West Coast. Close to 5 million acres, if not more, have already been destroyed, but Um, And obviously, there's a lot of mental health risks and uh, health risks um, that are attributed to these fires. But before we begin, can each of you sort of give us just a brief overview of what your roles are at Providence? Dr. Patel, you want to start? Sure. Um, Good afternoon. Good morning, wherever you are. (laughs) Um, I'm Jaten. Um, I'm a a pulmonologist and care physician in Spokane, Washington. director over the pulmonary division here in, in the Inland Northwest Providence system. Um, as a lung doctor, I deal with asthma, COPD, lung cancer, and what we are seeing literally in front of our faces right now and how it affects these disease processes. And Dr. Henderson? And I'm uh, Robin. I'm the psychologist by training. I'm the chief executive behavioral health for Providence here in Oregon. I'm also co-chair of the clinical performance group for mental and substance use for the system. Uh, and in my role, all things behavioral health, eventually at some point come up through me, whether it's inpatient, outpatient, ambulatory, uh, primary care, you name it. Uh, and we've been dealing with uh, not only the impacts that we're seeing uh, on the population at large, but the impacts of these wildfires on our own caregivers. Uh, it's It's pretty insane when you think about it, especially given that 2020 has not exactly been the easiest year for any of us. Um, As far as I, as far as our health goes, why is wildfire smoke so harmful, Dr. Patel? Well, wildfires, like other air pollutants, um, are significant contributors to illness. And there is correlated mortality and morbidity data related to the air quality index that are reported to us and the air quality index is a battery to measure what pollutants are out there in parts per million. There's different batteries out there, but you can see how increasing air quality index in or indices can lead 
proportionally or disproportionately increase airway hyperresponsiveness and inflammation, which can then in turn manifest into symptoms of cough, congestion, irritation, breathlessness, chest tightness. Wow, that's scary. It's a lot of work. It is. Yeah, it's a lot. lot. Uh, As far as our mental health goes, Dr. Henderson, what are some of the effects that these fires could be having on people? So the mental health impacts of the fires are, are, you know, what you would expect uh, with anything that we've got going on. Uh, anytime that we put our bodies under extreme duress, uh, there's going to be an impact. Sleeplessness, uh, depression, anxiety. And I think wildfires especially have created a lot of anxiety. The idea, I live in Clackamas County here in Oregon, and we're one of the, the places that's significantly uh, impacted by these fires. And so you have people who are in a level one where you have to get ready and, and people who are in a level two where you, you have to get set and, and really have a plan for leaving. Uh, and then people in level three who actually have had to evacuate some of them on, on very, very short notice. And that in and of itself is extraordinarily stressful. Uh, living with that constant fear and anxiety of the unknown uh, can have some significant impacts on our mental health and emotional well-being. Not not even counting the impact of, of not being able to see the sun for days, not being able to even step outside uh, and do some of the self-care types of things that, that normally we encourage people to do. Uh, during this pandemic, we've encouraged people to go outside, socially distance, go for a walk, walk your dog, do these types of things. You can't step outside right now. It's just not safe. And also, I feel like a lot of times ways that we deal with stress and anxiety are through breathing techniques, which obviously these fires and the air quality must be making that a lot more challenging as well. Uh, Dr. Patel, have you, what have you seen so far over the last week or so as far as what the effects have been on people due to these fires? Um, We're seeing, well, it's all perspective right now. It's real time and we're sort of in the acute scenario but we have numerous calls and urgent evaluations for increasing cough and congestion. Patients are complaining of irritant eyes, a lot of upper airway, sinus congestion and post-nasal drip are provoked. Um, and then centripetally, you know, in our unhealthy individuals, when that air quality index is at 100, those are my high-risk patients with my brittle COPD. Asthmatic patients are calling in, asking for more prednisone or need for rescue therapy. When I saw late last week, there was a rise, you know, that air quality index hitting 200, 250, my high risk patients, meaning if you had COPD asthma, you need to stay in. And now us as mammals or humans at 400 here in Spokane, I think it peaked at 493. Um, My triage nurse has been relentlessly on the phone, triaging all a whole conglomerate of symptomology from you know the irritant eyes to the increasing cough congestion changing expectoration of mucus the need for rescue inhaler um, i've already have a handful of patients in the emergency right now that set off an exacerbation of their underlying asthma and copd so we're going to see the acute rise or crescendo here in the next several days two weeks what would be some of the signs that the uh, that the smoke is actually harming you? Like, what should people be looking out for? Well, the index here, I think we we span here the whole West Coast from where you are in L.A. to mm-hmm. where Dr. Henderson's in Portland, in 
both are sentinel areas and then we're seeing the the downstream not direct fire but we're seeing parts per million within a uh, hundred yards and we're actually tasting the smoke and so runny eyes irritant eyes scratchy eyes sore throat runny nose sinus congestion uh, progressive cough or irritation loss of taste even uh, to even patients who have underlying disorders having increased need for their rescue therapy signs can be you know um, sort of not necessarily mild febrile illness but just feel warmth you may even have chills you may even tightness in your chest you might have reflux symptoms or cough provoked by this matter and then like dr henson pointed to the anxiety of the unknown you know the unknown provokes anxiety and so here you've the messaging is stay sheltered, stay isolated. At the same time, take do deep breathing exercises as a pulmonologist to miasmatic, get active, you know, social distance, but exercise, but you can't do either. And so there's, you know, anxiety provoked as well from that. And with that comes chest tightness, shortness of breath as well. Um, Dr. Henderson, what are some of the ways that we can, if especially if we're in one of these high-risk zones, what are some of the ways that we can effectively deal with our anxiety and the stress that we are being put under, especially due to these conditions when we can't do the things that we would normally or you would normally suggest. So it's funny. I was talking just yesterday with some of the work to be well students about uh, ways that we could, what are some alternative self-care strategies at a time when going out for a walk, going out for a run just aren't feasible. And I think you see behind me, I've got a, an elliptical trainer Indoor exercise equipment is great if you have it. If you don't, improvise. Uh, there's a, a million videos out there nowadays on YouTube that can help you do some type of light exercise, but that's really important to keep your blood flowing, to keep your body moving. Talking to people. Now more than ever is a great time to connect with people. Phone a friend you haven't talked with in a while. Um, but sharing that mutual experience and having a conversation becomes really, really important. You know, uh, drink lots of fluids help flush this stuff from your body. Water is a really, really good, solid choice right now. Uh, so making sure that you're staying well hydrated. Uh, now is a great time for perhaps a different type of self-care, a nice good bath. Uh, it's The smoke really clings to your skin, clings to your clothes. And so making sure that you're getting good hygiene in, um, washing your face, doing a little self-care with some, uh, you know, moisturizing mask probably wouldn't be a bad idea right now. And uh, again, if you don't happen to have a moisturizing mask, there's a number of recipes out there that you can make one in your own refrigerator, you know, with a little bit of yogurt and honey. Find that recipe on the internet and it's great. But those types of things that really help um, keep us uh, hydrated, keep us stimulated, keep us even moving so that we don't sink into that depression are things we need to be thinking about. I think that's really important to hear because I think obviously this has to feel very paralyzing if you're in directly, you know, in this situation and, and to feel so helpless and you don't really have control over what's going on, knowing that you can do certain things to protect yourself. Dr. Patel, we actually got a question from the audience, which is, and when you were talking about some of the symptoms of smoke, um, and the question is, can people misinterpret these symptoms as COVID-19? Yeah, there's some overlap. Absolutely. Um, COVID is, it's a novel virus, but we know we have asymptomatic carriers and vectors. We as humans are vectors. And so there's a whole paradigm of how COVID can infect you. And so you can have your asymptomatic college student or even someone my age to 
even the elderly, um, or you have the one who's infected who has cough, fever, insomnia, or lack of smell, lack of taste, um, who are presenting with thumb and respiratory compromise. So here you got a pollutant, an irritant, which is actually tangible and you can taste. Um, there are some overlap symptoms of cough, breathlessness, but I think once you get to an air quality index of greater than 300, it doesn't matter health or unhealthy, the air is not tangible for sustainable outdoor living. And so, um, like Dr. Henderson pointed towards is keep yourself uh, hydrated and keep active, but indoors. Um, there are proprietor um, filtration systems like our HVAC, when you score a filter of greater than 13 or greater, good for these type of hydrocarbons and pollutants to filter in your system. So make sure your homes are got fresh filters uh, and keeping active and exercising in, in house. But uh, the symptoms overlap. The symptoms overlap, but you're not going to have necessary fever or chills with an air pollutant unless it leads to an exacerbation, like a sinusitis or an asthma or COPD exacerbation. We actually got another uh, Facebook question from the audience. We have a few questions actually coming in, um, but this one, I think both of you could probably answer this. What do you recommend people do to stay calm when they are experiencing these symptoms? Maybe Dr. Henderson, you want to take that. Well, we've talked about the fact that, that deep breathing exercises, if you're in an environment that have smoke, not, not advised. But there are some other things that you can do to stay, stay calm. Um, grounding yourself, uh, you know, sitting with your, your feet on the floor and grounding yourself and just closing your eyes and taking some, some quiet breaths to really um, remind yourself that, that you're grounded in your body, which is grounded in, in a safe space. Um, Information is also really helpful. There's a lot of misinformation out there, but there's also a lot of good information. Uh, yeah. For us here in Clackamas County, the county and the state websites are updated once a day. Uh, if they do need uh, to get a hold of you early, having that ability to connect in with an emergency response line, uh, usually there's like a text number that you can text in for your county, and then you get on that emergency alert system, and they let you know if your if your evacuation zone has changed. So information can help calm you down, but make sure it's credible information. There's a lot of misinformation out there and that's not really helpful because that's just out there to create and raise anxieties. So getting a solid source of information and using that in a regular you know, time frame is helpful. Don't go overboard and watch a ton of news. This is a great time to binge watch something new on Netflix. <laughs> I feel like there's been a lot of that lately. Um, uh, Dr. Patel, in terms of the the effects of this wildfire smoke, is this um, worse for people who already have uh, heart and lung issues? And who else would you say is at risk? Well, we're going to recall the AQI, the battery that we're using. You know, we've known that if you have certain morbidity, a level above 100, those are my at risk. The ones, once you get to a level of 200 or higher pollution levels, my at risk patients were what we're seeing more of. Once you get to 300 and above, it just signifies an enormous hazardous environment for all of us. Mm -hmm. So there's been 
you know, perspective studies and association looking at particulate matter and parts per million, and then increasing morbidity or sickness and follow-up mortality. When you look at occupational environmental exposures and airway inflammation, mm -hmm. there's a disproportionate rise of cardiovascular events and respiratory worsening. Mm -hmm. And that sort of paradigm, you know, shifts even back towards our pediatric cohort or patients where, you know, the behavioral issues, complaints of migraines, missing time at school. So as the air quality index worsens, you're going to see a disproportionate rise in morbidity, whatever, however it manifests with migraines, headaches, anxiety, depression, uh, crescendo in sense of breathless or hunger for air. Mm -hmm. So it's the whole spectrum. Uh Specifically, we actually got a question from LinkedIn about what can people with asthma do to help reduce the impacts of the smoke? This actual uh, uh, audience member said that the, at, no, at night that the smoke actually gets worse, so it's hard to sleep. Is there anything that you can suggest this person doing? You know, in my clinical practice, my asthmatic or brittle asthmatic and COPD patients or O2-dependent patients when the temp, and it varies, all three of us are in, along the West Coast at different latitudes and temperature and humidity play a role um, as a general rule of thumb. Warm air or hot air is more turbulent. Cooler air is more laminar and easier to breathe. Our O2 dependent patients typically in hot plethoric weather find it harder to breathe or feel more hungry for air. So the dogma is I would prefer them in temperatures around 70 and at most 82 or less center, uh, Fahrenheit. And so with the pollution, if you got heat mixed with that, with active fires and you're an asthmatic, you really should be in an air-conditioned, humidified, you know, air-conditioned environment or a cooler environment and to keep hydrated. Uh, you, uh, uh, Dr. Patel also mentioned pediatrics, which, so Dr. Henderson, talking about children right now, how and what should parents and what can parents do uh, to help calm children during this? Because again, obviously 2020, they're dealing with so much already. So what, what would you say for parents out there? Uh, as always, you know, we look at, at children in an age dependent, uh, developmentally appropriate way. So for our small children, uh, keeping them in as, as much of a routine as you can, uh, they're going to want to go outside, so keeping up the distractions, uh, creating some special play zones. Now may be a time, if you've got really young children, to say, you know, hey, let's let's go build a fort in a room they don't get to go into very often. So they have some change of environment to help uh, stimulate some other parts of their brain because, you know, they're going to be frustrated that they can't go outside. But getting creative, you know, to make sure that those kids can get the wiggles out and get the energy out. Um, as kids begin to age and get a little bit older, it goes to information, making sure they understand, first of all, that you're paying attention to this. So they know that if we're in a, in a get ready uh, environment, they're gonna know what that is and have a conversation as a family of what that means. What are the important things that you would wanna take with you if we have to evacuate? Even if you think the likelihood is in your area that you're not gonna evacuate, having that conversation and giving children an ability to have some volition over that can be really, really helpful. So helping them understand what are the two or three toys that you would want to take? What are the things that are important and meaningful to you? Um, that really can go a long way to settle down that kind of five to 12 year old age range. 
Uh, it also helps with teenagers too, to have them thinking about that because they're seeing the news, they're hearing from their friends, uh, making sure that you have a family plan and that you all know what that is, is one of the biggest things you can do to reduce their anxiety. I think the other thing you can do with those kids who are in that uh, older age range as well is to help them figure out what kinds of proactive things can they do to volunteer and help out. There are a lot of opportunities right now uh, for volunteers to call the elderly. You know, many of our elders are, are shut up in environments where they can't get out, they can't see their loved ones. They're getting pretty bored. Uh, so calling, and I, I, one of my favorite things was early on in COVID, uh, watching, uh, I think it was Matthew McConaughey and his family, who set up a regular bingo night via Zoom with a, with a senior center near them. Those mm -hmm. types of volunteer experiences can be very meaningful for both parties. And it allows uh, our, our adolescents to have something positive to focus on. Because for us, at least here in Oregon, most schools that were supposed to start last week didn't. And they're not starting this week either. And they're being delayed and kicked down the road for another week. So finding a way that you can positively impact um, your community and be part of the solution can be a big help. Um, what about, uh, Dr. Patel, what about for those of us who may not have pre-existing conditions, but may have, you know, we're finding that this air is hard to breathe in and um, what can we do to protect ourselves so that maybe this doesn't impact us later on? Or, you know, what can we do to be, to feel better? Because obviously this smoke is very heavy. It is making it hard to breathe. And to your point earlier, you said you could basically taste it. So what, what should people be doing that are not in the pre-existing category? Yeah, it sort of falls on to triply short-term and long-term sort of problems that may occur. So short-term and or long-term with or without health issues, you really should, it's avoidance and common sense. Mm -hmm. At this point, um, you know, employers should keep their employees at home if they're able to work from home um, to keep yourself busy within the home. Like Dr. Henderson said, if you have home equipment, keep active, keep exercising. My adage has always been 10,000 steps with activities of day living. So dressing, bathing, that including activities around the house, as well as if you have a home machine, you should be using that machine, not for laundry, but to actually use, <laughs> right? And that's where the, those machines, home, home prices should be worthwhile for us at this point. There's, like, there's no laundry like, on like, that. Like, 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 I just say, just like my elliptical, but there is on mine, so, or my treadmill. So right. start using that, but then also keeping yourself hydrated to, you know, getting in at least, like Dr. Henderson said, keep yourself hydrated, but 28 to 32 ounces at minimum water. Uh, per day. Uh, watch your dietary intake as you become sedentary. You know, your input to output is disproportionate. So to mitigate weight gain, you know, watch how much you're eating and, you know, maybe reduce your calorie to 1800, you know, increase, you know, your roughage. Um, you know, the mindset of a healthy individual, there's a whole continuum, right? So, you know, I, I think it's important to keep yourself mentally busy as well. So mm -hmm. if you're not physically active, read and w be aware of where your information is coming from too, because that element of that pie is very important because that can brew, again, leading back to anxiety. If you're hearing misinformation or information that's missed mm -hmm. or misguiding, it could typically have a real negative spiral effect. So 
being your own family, family dinners, family preparation, eating together, working out together, um, having the kids involved is so relevant at this point in that process, right? So that will help lessen the burden of anxiety amongst our kids as well who are going through the same thing. And our kids are healthy too. We want to keep them healthy. Just as you you know, portray, you want to set by example. Um, and then for not necessarily unhealthy, but individuals who have morbidity, make sure they're taking their medicines in a time fashion, not delaying things. So if they're an asthmatic or a COPD patient, continuing their maintenance therapy inhaler so that that lessens the need for rescue. But that also means staying in house, right? Staying indoors. Right. Um, you know, my elderly patients, I do say to them, if you're able to get to a mall, maybe do five laps in the mall. You know, mm-hmm. you can walk wow. outside, just leave, just leave your wallet at home. <laughs> um, we actually got another question on Facebook. Uh, can you help clear up the confusion about wearing masks if you have to go outside? Uh, Dr. Patel, I'm going to throw oh, this yeah. one. <laughs> and not, not to misguide anyone. I think as a COVID, it's a public health responsibility, not to get yourself sick, but to prevent or lessen the transfer or the vector element and reducing the transfer. So it's your, our responsibility or an individual responsibility to lessen you know, the transfer of COVID to your cohorts, your family member, your parents, your grandparents, your neighbor. So um, I would, I'm advocating for mass uh, in the outdoor element. If you have to venture out to get your water, to get your groceries. Um, but I think at this point with the air quality index here in the inland Northwest is upwards of 490. I actually need a respirator, an N95 to be outside and it be truly safe, right? And there's resistant qualities to a, a mask, but there's been some prospective physiologic studies that say that the use of masks, you can still exercise through a mask too. It's probably just not ideal for our 5K marathon runners to be running out there in this because there are short-term um, effects that this can have and lead to reactive airways as well. So one, wear your mask to mitigate the transfer COVID and two, stay indoors. <laughs> You know, yep. um, it's just not smart. If once the air quality index rises to above 300, you're best to stay indoors. Yep. Uh, it seems like 2020 is just going to continue or just continues to challenge us. But um, one last question for Dr. Henderson, for those that have had to evacuate, which I believe the number is tens of thousands already, and there's a number of people that are already at risk or that are at risk for potentially having to evacuate, what can people, what can we do to help us cope, especially for our kids, but just for anybody, what can people do if they are in that situation where they've had to leave home and have, you know, no idea the status of their home or have no idea, you know, or have lost everything? The For the folks um, who have been in the level three evacuation zones, whether they've lost their homes or not, um, this is an extraordinary amount of emotional stress to be under. Uh, I know for our Providence caregivers, uh, we've set up resources within Providence, but within our communities, there are also community centers, uh, usually the, the local Red Cross, reaching out to those areas and getting yourself registered through there, even if you don't need the shelter, 
they've got resources and abilities to get you connected to services that you may not even be aware of. Uh, it's really, really important uh, if you've been evacuated. My own sister got evacuated from a small town Lions and she's staying here in our house in our guest room with two of her cats. Um, she oh. didn't have enough notice to take much more than the clothes on her back and the two cats and her medications. Uh, so having the ability to have a safe place to go was really helpful, but we also recognized that tomorrow will be a week that she's been evacuated. We had to go buy clothes. We, we happen to know that her house is okay, but we don't know about her neighbors. We don't know about the people that are within that community. So it's really important to get connected to the local resource center so that you can find out as much information as you can, but also to try and establish that, that some semblance of normalcy, um, whether it's the routine of, of being able to reach out to friends and family uh, and connect with people, uh, having a few things around you that are important to you, uh, if you were, did have the ability to collect things. And for kids who've been evacuated, making sure that they've got some familiar items. If they've lost all their toys, toys should be on the top of the list of the things that you need when somebody says, what do you need? But most importantly, don't be afraid to ask for help. You're not alone. Uh, in this evacuation, uh, we are here together as a community to take care of each other, especially those who have been so much less fortunate. That's some great advice. And we are pretty much out of time. Is there anything, uh, Dr. Patel, you want to throw in here before we wrap up or Dr. Henderson? I think just common sense. Um, just be safe, take care of your own and your neighbors and that helping hand, keep yourself hydrated. And if you do need to venture out to mitigate the transfer of COVID, you should be wearing a mask. But otherwise, it's a mute issue regarding a mask in this environment. So you really should be sheltered. Your mask should be your house or at least in a well-ventilated arena. Like that. Yeah, I think that's... And I think what I would add in here is, is this is overwhelming and everybody needs somebody to talk to every now and then. And if you're struggling and really beginning to get uh, overwhelmed with the anxiety, the depression, no matter what age you are, there's always somebody here to listen. Uh, call the National Suicide Hotline, call our friends at Youthline and Teenline. All of those resources have people who are here to listen to you. You are not alone. Uh, and if you need help, there's always somebody here. Thank you both. I think that's great advice. And I think it's most important right now that everybody realizes and knows that they're not alone. Thank you, Dr. Patel and Dr. Henderson for joining us today. We have officially run out of time and everyone, thank you so much for listening and asking your questions. If you're looking for medical advice, please visit providence.org and make sure to follow us on social media at Providence on Twitter and under Providence Health System on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And hope everybody is staying safe and remember you're not alone and we will see you soon. Bye everyone.